busy. Uh, dearly Father, thank you um, together as a family. We can praise your name. Yeah, really just teaching and nurturing um, the younger people in our church, Lord. It's a blessing to have that. Um, but I pray that as we listen to this message, I pray that mum's words may be from you and that it may be your voice um, coming into our ears, Lord, that um, we may hear a, a message that resonates with us and, and one that inspires us to be um, yeah, vehicles for you and change that. Um, we bring in your name. So thank you for who you are and what you're doing in each of us. And I pray that we may be um, yeah, ready here, that you may prepare us for um, a message that will help us help you, Lord. So um, I pray for your wisdom and your guidance and a blessing over mum. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Can you hear the little sentimental tone in Cooper's voice today? It's because a lot of our Avondale College students um, have had a great time home mid-semester, but most of them are going back to college um, this weekend. I know our boys are leaving this afternoon. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a bittersweet joy. Mostly bitter for us, a little bit of sweet for them when they go back to see all of their mates. So we are in the second week of our series where we're talking about apprentices, becoming apprentices of Jesus Christ, learning to um, be like him, looking at the rhythms and patterns of life that he lived when he was here on this earth, and then modeling the way we do life after him. And last week, I wasn't here, but Damo preached for us, um, and he started our series. He was um, talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, because I wasn't here to hear it, but um, talking about that God meets us where we are at, that God uses the gifts and talents that we are. When you're an apprentice, um, and I've heard some of the jokes about it. I was speaking to my cousin last night. He's an electrician, and he's got a few apprentices under him. And I said, you know, is it true? Do you actually send them to, like, get a left-handed screwdriver and, like, left-handed pliers? And he's like, oh, yeah, 100% we do that, like, 100%. And then he launched into a whole heap of stories of the, like, the, like, I don't know if you're, you know, if you've got kids and they're around the ages of mine, there was this TV show that was called Horrible Histories. And there was a part of Horrible Histories that had, like, dumb ways to, to die. And it, and it just talked about all the crazy things that had happened in history that people had done. And um, he was telling me some stories that I think are worthy of that. Um, on on that show. Um, or, what I learnt was red goes with red, connect red to red. You know, if you're an electrician, that's just a little tip for you today if you're looking to go into an electrician career. But the whole concept is if we want to step into being a follower of Christ, we're actually going to have to take the time to have a look at what he did, to learn from the ways that he showed us how to go. So God meets us where we are. When you start out your apprenticeship, um, no one wants to be your boss if you're walking in on your first day and you're like, I don't need to learn anything from you. I'm good. Put me in that million dollar house. I'm good to go. Show me where the box is. Give me some tools. No one's going to do that because you don't come with everything already there. And that's something that I love about our God, that he says, you don't have to have everything together when you come to me. Actually, just come follow me. It doesn't matter where you're at. Um, Jared, my cousin, also talked about it's just your apprenticeship is the time to make big mistakes. Um, and it's okay 
because you're learning. And when you read through the Gospels, the stories of the disciples who were, you know, apprenticing under Jesus, they made some big mistakes. They made some, they said some dumb things. They did some dumb things. And I love that we're invited into that space too. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to do everything right. So we are here to learn. So what are we going to learn today? What possibly else could we take away from Jesus' life? Now, there's a little bit of an issue that I have with today's thing because what we're going to talk about clearly is already important to you because you're all here. So in some ways, what we're going to talk about today is kind of, I'd love for you to take note of it, to listen to it, remind you of yourself at next week, but also remind the people who aren't in the seats beside you of what we talked about today. In 1995, I, uh, I graduated from high school. 1995 was my first year at university. And my family was living in Bundaberg at the time. Dad was the pastor of the church. Happy birthday, Mum. Haven't said that to you yet. Um, Dad was the pastor of the church. And, you know, it was just a smaller, like, smaller church. I mean, we're pretty small today because lots of people are away. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a small church and a family church. Your dad was the pastor, so everyone kind of knew who you were and knew that, you know, did you study your lesson because your dad's a pastor? Like, you should know everything, that kind of a thing. Um, and then I came down to Brisbane to university. So I did my first year of my um, Bachelor of Education at Griffith University at Mount Gravatt. And I remember moving down here with my great aunt that I knew pretty much only from Christmas dinners um, and like hadn't spent much time with her. And I really missed my family. Um, I, I was really hoping that I could continue living at home. I loved being at home. Who doesn't love being at home? I actually have to cook now um, and clean like the towels. They used to, my whole life, just magically appear beautiful and fluffy. Not so much now, um, unless I do it. Um, so I came down to university and moved in with my great aunt. That was, I really struggled with that because I was just really lonely. Um, and so I tried to go to church a few times. I went to a, a few of the bigger churches that were like, this is, you know, this is where all the university students go. Go there, you'll, you'll feel really at home. But I didn't. I actually felt, and I feel like this is one of the worst feelings for someone to have, in a space, in a congregation, in a church setting where you think you would naturally feel so at home, but you feel lonely. It's an uncomfortable, because it just doesn't feel right. And so I stopped going. Don't recommend it, but I stopped going. But come every Friday night and Saturday morning, there was a little bit in me that was like, something is missing. Now, if you've, you've probably heard me before say that I'm just a natural rule keeper. I like keeping rules. It makes me feel safe. I saw people around me who didn't keep rules. I'm like, why would you keep breaking that? Like, it never turns out good, but okay, sure. Um, so I'm the kind of person that I feel bad if I'm taking a Coles trolley into Woolworths. Like, so I'm, a, you know, I'm like a straight down the line kind of person. It makes me feel safe. I really like it. Uh, and, but what I found... 
you know, I'd grown up, you know, Adventism for me was just as much my culture as it was my own personal religion. So it was both. It was the culture I'd grown up into, but I'd also made it mine. But on these Saturday mornings, my first year of uni, I found myself being so lonely. There was a hole in me that wasn't filled on a Saturday morning. And I tried to get it at church and I felt so, I felt even more lonely there. I felt overlooked. And, you know, in hindsight, should you have just stayed? Yes, probably, and I would have found my home. But to fill that hole, remember I'm a a kind of natural rule keeper. You know, I'd grown up with Sabbath. I filled my Sabbath hole with the fresh food people, with Woolies. So every, all through the week, my first year at university, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't do my groceries during the week. And then on Saturday morning, when I felt that real just loneliness that I should be a part of something, I went and did my groceries. I walked down the aisles and listened to people chatter. There was music playing. I was used to having music on a Saturday morning. I'd just speak really nicely and chat to the person that was doing my ding when there was actually people standing there. And um, that's how I filled my Sabbath little hole, my hole of wanting to be connected to something bigger than me. And I think, and statistics tell me that I'm not the only person that feels like this. So what I want to get you to do is just make eye contact with the person on your right and the person on your left and just check yourself too in the meantime. So you're looking at the person on your right, oh yeah, my shoes are good, and you're looking at the person on your left. So you're acknowledging that there's three people. You don't have to say anything if you like, I mean... it could be a moment for this whole group of people over here. Like if you look to your right and, you know, you can wink if that's appropriate. But, um, but you know, um, look to the right, look to your left, acknowledge that there's a little group of three. Now, one of your people might be part of that group of three and part of that group of three too. But have a look at the little group of three. There's a group of three. Statistics in America and Australia, there is no difference. Statistics tell us that... One of you out of the three will have extended periods of loneliness and repeated times where you feel like your needs are not being met and you feel alone. So in this room, and the statistics say that it's generally not that different between church and secular society. So one in three. There's a community whole. There's something about we want to be part of something. And Jesus demonstrates and teaches us that the church, God's people, has a key role to play in filling that gap. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Luke 4, and we're going to read from 14 to 22. We'll just do it in a few little chunks. But Luke 4... And 14 to 22. And verse 14 starts off like this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him had spread through the whole countryside. News had gone before him. When he arrived, people knew about him. They knew who he was. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, his hometown, 
He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up on the Sabbath day, and he went to the synagogue, and the last words say, as was his custom. Going to the synagogue was part of the natural rhythm of his life. In fact, raised in the Jewish culture, he would have been allowed to attend synagogue at the age of five, and then at the age of 13, it would have become a requirement of his faith to be there every week. But it was part of his pattern, part of the rhythm of his life. There's so many instances in the Bible when we hear that um, Jesus attended synagogue, but this is the only one that lets us know that it was a habit. It was his custom. It was part of his rhythm. It was part of what he did. And there's no real reason why it says his kind of notoriety had gone before him. He hasn't really done much big ministry yet. He hasn't really embarked on his journey yet, but he comes back to his hometown and yet he's already still recognized. And we get a little picture of maybe why in the first part of those verses. In verse 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He went away. He was tested. The Spirit of God was with him. And when he came back, people noticed something was different about him. Perhaps the way he spoke, perhaps the way he treated others. They had noticed. So Jesus was in the habit of going to the synagogue. Going to church was a priority for him. Getting up, getting ready, even when he was tired, even when he'd had a big week, it was a priority for him. And as his apprentices, wouldn't it be worth taking note of what was a habit of his, of something that he placed value in for us then to place value on it? And there might be some of you right now that go, oh, I see where she's leading us. The rest of this sermon is going to be about why are you not coming to church every week? That's why she wants us to remember it so we can tell all the other people that aren't here today. Well, you were right. No. Um, there's part of that, that yes, that is part of what we're talking about today. Because when we look at apprenticing someone, if it's important to them and their business, then me as a part of that, it becomes important to me and a part of my business too. If you look online, this is universally for all denominations of churches. It's a struggle right now to have people entering the house of God on a weekly basis. You can go home, go home and Google reasons why I should come to church. Like there's not a faith church out there that hasn't put out a big list of, some have a list of five, some have a list of 10. One had a list of 28 reasons. I'm like, your article's not that catchy. It was quite long. I'm, you might not get to 28. Um, but then I found another article that kind of counteracted all of the others. And the, the, the title caught me in all of this so much media and so much writing about, here's the benefits of coming to church. There was an article that said, here is reasons why not to go to church. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, if we're going to talk about one, we should probably talk about the other. So here's some of them. Here's some of the arguments. See if maybe some of these might resonate with you. Reasons not to go to church. Because I'm busy. We're all busy. I'm too tired. 
the weather is really bad. Like, if you're using that excuse, you can move to Melbourne and probably use it, but maybe not in Queensland. Um, I don't like the speaker. I don't see the point in going anymore. My friends aren't there. I can listen to a way better sermon online and stay in my pyjamas. I can do my own Bible study that's personal to me. Church is boring. I've been hurt way too many times to step back into that space and be vulnerable again. That was on the list. I don't agree or support with the leadership, so I'm not going. I'm not comfortable there. I feel lonely there. I feel like my needs aren't being met. It was a really long list. And I'm like, where is this article going? And at the end of the list, the author turns around and said, there is one thing that is common with every single one of these reasons, not, and they all have something to do with you. And then he went on to explain, but you know what? Church is not about you. Being here on a Saturday morning is not about you and about you feeling this and you feeling that and you feeling that. And because we have become consumers where we go, hang on, if it doesn't live up to my kind of consumer rights or consumer standards, I'm not going to place any value on it. It becomes really easy for us to say, I don't need to go anymore. Like, you're not meeting expectations And in this chapter in Luke, we see Jesus walk into his hometown, stand up in the synagogue that he would have gone to as a little boy and debunk what that article says. He stands up and he begins to read. And he uses this moment to announce exactly why he came, who he was, and what the church was not. So we'll keep reading. We'll go to 17. He stood up to read, as was the custom in a synagogue. The reader of the word would stand out of respect. They'd unfurl the scroll and they would start reading. He stood up out of respect for the Holy Scriptures. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. And he quotes the prophet, reads the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and and the recovery of sight for the blind and to set the free, set the oppressed free, make them free, to proclaim that the year of the Lord's favor is here. And then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant and he sits down. And he's not sitting down at this moment because he's finished talking. He's sitting down because the word, the scripture was read out loud and then in the synagogue when the, when the preacher, the teacher sat down, that was his posture to begin preaching the sermon. So he sits down ready to preach about this scripture that he reads. And this is what he says. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's the prophet Isaiah, you know, 
telling that in the future, someone would come. And in the very synagogue that he grew up, Jesus is saying, I am that someone. And you know what? The way you've been doing church, it's a little bit different. And expect some things to change now because this is what we're all about. It's not about following these laws. It's not about doing this and doing that. It's about living for others. What you thought was really important, when you thought all your religious eggs were in your basket and you looked after you and it was important that everything was focused on you, Jesus says, no, last shall be first, all those kind of things. He's about to turn a kingdom upside down. Through God's spirit, he says, it's good news for the poor. They're not going to be ignored anymore. They're really important to the kingdom of God. You know what? Sight for the blind. The oppressed become free. We are here to make a difference in the world around you. And he said, I'm the one that's being sent to start this. He starts his movement. I'm the one that has been given to you and we are going to change how things worked. He'd made a bold statement And he declared the truth of who he was and what his purpose was. He starts sharing what ministry looks like. Ministry is not coming and just being a seat, sitting on a seat, a body on a chair. He says it's more than that. I want to invite you into being a part of something that changes the world. Jesus' aim was to impact the world in a big way because he was on a mission from his father and he declared it in that space. The church, us, a body of people, not the building, we are part of that plan. And it was a top priority for Jesus, that plan. And he's, he's asking us for it to be a priority for us. He wants people to be actively involved in it, not just routinely coming, ha, la, nice, and going. He wants you to be a part of a vibrant movement that is making a difference. Not a tired, crusty, old, boring religion that you probably slept through most of it. It's something that's alive and something that can make a difference in people's lives. I want you to turn. The next place we're going to go is Hebrews 10. So if you've got your Bible with you, you turn over to Hebrews 10 and we're going to start in verse 19. In this passage, it becomes so clear that God wants us to be actively and enthusiastically involved in his ministry. And meeting together as a group was an important part of that ministry. It says here in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we possess, for he who promised us is faithful. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another along toward love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together as some are in a habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. We've moved on in time. Jesus has done some of his ministry. Jesus has done a lot of his ministry. We're now in Corinthians. He's died. He's been raised to life. And there's an early church that is grappling with, okay, Jesus declared what we were meant to be like back then. So, okay, a lot of stuff has happened and now he's gone and how do we do this? How do we continue this movement that he started? And one of the important ways is don't stop meeting together and remember that when Jesus died on the cross for you, he just gave you direct access to the God of the universe. You don't have to go through a priest anymore. You can talk to him yourself. He can be a part of your daily life. So that's important. And then also share that with the group of people that are around you. Why the emphasis, though, on meeting together? What's so important about being in this building? Because we know it's not the building. What's so important about the gathering of you and I that makes a difference in our spiritual lives, that makes a difference in the way we impact the world around us? Does it really matter? Does it really matter if you're here? Does it really matter if you do a sermon online? Does it really matter if you stay home and do your own Bible study? It does matter. And how we can understand why that matters is when we have a look at 1 Corinthians 12, 25. And this is the passage that we really want to rest into. To separate yourself from church, from the body of people, your family that are worshipping with you, is in some ways to separate yourself from the body of Christ. To stay away means that there's just separation between all of us and we're not effective when we're not together. Okay, it says, we'll start in verse 12. Jesus as a body though, Jesus, just as a body though, goodness, one has many parts, but all its parts from one form one body. So it is with Christ. For we, as a group of people who have said, yes, we'll be his followers. We want to be your apprentices. We want to be part of who you are. For we are all baptized by the one spirit. And so we form one body. We come together. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, the playing field is leveled. None of us are better than another. And we have all been given the one spirit to drink, to become part together. Even so, the body is not made of one part, but so many. Now, what if, what if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to this body. I'm over it. Look at the feet. I'm like, people chat to me all the time. I want to be the hand. They do really cool stuff. Like, so you know what? I can't be a hand. I'm, I'm, I'm done. What if that happened? That would just be crazy. It would not be effective. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't want to be a part of the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? 
If the body, whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, if we were all feet, that's awkward and weird, unless you like feet. But in fact, God has placed many parts. As so it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the hand cannot, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body are weaker. They might seem weaker. They might not seem strong, but they are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we should treat with special honour. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the party to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honour honoured, every part rejoices. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part. Every single person in this room is a part of the body of Christ. Now, I have this issue with little toes. It started in Melbourne when our kids were little, and Neil had built me a beautiful coffee table. Loved it. He built it to my specifications, so I guess you could technically say it's my fault. Um, but uh, we had beautiful, um, unlike the floor heating that blows up, so it was really warm. We had really nice soft carpet. We renovated a house down there so we could walk around with no shoes on in a really warm house. And I would walk, um, and it happened the first time I walked too close to the coffee table, and my little toe went that way on the coffee table and the rest of my toes went that way. And that's what it looked like. And I remember the first time it happened, in that moment, my breath, it was my toe that was hurt, but my breath, (sighs) that really hurt. My breath started going a little bit faster. I could feel my heart going a little bit faster. I could hear, feel my head going pain, 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 right down there. And then I could feel this little bit of liquid um, escaping from my eyes and my voice screaming out. My toe was hurt, but my whole body had reacted to what happened in that moment. And then another day, I did the other side. And subsequently, I don't know what happens, but there's like a big shining beacon on both of my little toes. And it just seems to happen all the time. Maybe I just don't walk. But when you will understand too, when some part of your body is hurting, often we'll overcompensate somewhere else. You'll have a sore knee and all of a sudden your back will be hurting or, you know, your tooth is sore, but the deferred pain is coming out of your ears. We know what it's like to have one part not working and it affects everyone. And we're here to stay because we want to say, when you're not here with us, 
When you're not playing your part as the body of Christ, when you're not on mission as an apprentice of Jesus, making a difference in his world, we miss you. The world is worse for it. Our ministry is worse for it when you're not here, when you're not a part of us. Your presence and your absence matters. It matters to us here as your family. And we want to challenge you to to buck the system, walk away from the trend that says it's okay for us to be consumers of the religion that we are part of. We want to say, no, that's not how we do it. We're not consumers anymore. We're contributors. Because when we put our hand up to be a follower of Christ, we're invited in to be a part of that body and that body has a mission to change the world, to make people's shoulders feel lighter because they understand that God loves them. For people that are really struggling to say, we can be the hands and feet that says, hey, can you have this? Can we help you in this way? Your world is changed and we do it because we're part of hands and feet of God. When you choose to become a part of the body of Christ, you choose to become part of a movement that was started by 20 kind of nobodies that didn't have any of the right training any of the right training, didn't have heaps of skills, but like 20-something nobodies that said, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to become part of His body. I'm going to get my hands moving. I'm going to get my feet moving. I'm going to start using my voice to be on mission. And the crazy, amazing thing is that that New Testament church, within four Hundred years, that church that started as this little tiny weirdo sect became the dominant religion of the Western world. And you can look up any church growth stuff and at the moment it will say that churches are dying. Attendance is down, churches are dying, people don't know if it really matters anymore. But my challenge to you is, do you want that on your watch? Do you want that for your kids? Do you want that for your grandkids, for the life and the joy and the enthusiasm of a movement to die out with you? I don't think you do. And I don't want that either. Ethan's going to sing for us. And I want to challenge you with the words that, like, What if each day from here on in, you cried out to God and said, can you meet me here? I don't have all that I need. Like I'm just a a little learner here. But can you meet me here? Can we do this together? And then when we we spoke that to God one-on-one, can you meet me in this place? We echoed that call to our greater community and said, next Saturday morning, can you meet me here? Can we be here? Can I sit with you? Can we meet again?
Will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you love. Will you meet me here again? Acts 42 um, describes for us, they devoted themselves, the early church, this church that we've been invited to be a part of, we're standing in the legacy of that church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together. They were together. They lived a life that had things in common. They sold their property, their possessions, and they gave to people in need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, daily. Why would you put your hand up to be apprentice of something that you didn't think was worthy of following? And if we truly believe that Jesus is somebody worth following, then we are invited to be a part of the body of Christ, a dynamic body that says, let's keep our lives in common. Let's do stuff together. Let's be a part of meeting together. And you know what? If we look around and we meet today and we hear something really good and that person wasn't here and that person wasn't here, well, let's ring that person. Let's talk to that person. Let's ask why they weren't here. What do they need? How can we support them? This sermon today is not about attendance. It's about engagement. And certainly your attendance somewhere affects your ability to engage. You're part of the body of Christ. A movement that over the years has shaped the way governments worked, the way laws were written, changed the way slaves were treated. I don't want that to stop with us. I don't want that to go down on my watch, and I don't think you want to either. So I want to ask you, plead with you to be part of this body of Christ. Meet with us. And as you leave here today, remember one sentence that you can use. When you have a conversation with people this week and you might hear someone say, you know, how are you doing? Oh, you know what? I've had a tough week. This is the line I want you to use. Come sit with me. I go to a place where you can make a difference. Come sit with me. When you talk to a school friend and they're like, oh man, I'm really struggling. Like, I hate this, man. My family's, you know what? Come sit with me. I go somewhere on Saturday. I go to a connect group on Wednesday or a Monday night. Come sit with me. Come be a part of the body that I'm be a part of. When apprentices of Jesus do that, they engage. When our church does that, the world is better for it. When we engage, God's mission is better for it. 
And I'm excited at what we can do. And we invite you to be part of it. Bow your heads. Father God, we want to thank you that you look down on this room of, you know, people that so many times, so many days we feel kind of average and inadequate. And you look at us and go, man, you are exactly who I need. And it's not even that you really need us. You're the God of the universe. You could do all of this on your own if you want to, but you said, I don't want to. I want to invite people in. I want to work in a community. I want to use a body of people to change the world, and we are invited into it. God, give us wisdom to reach out to others and invite them into this space too. Let us fill this hall, fill this room, because numbers do matter, because every person that meets you and devotes their lives for you is a number that is added to your kingdom. And it brings a day closer where you will return and change all of our lives for eternity. We love you. We thank you for loving us. In your name, amen.